host, Tipsy Cochran. Hello. Uh, and joining us today, we have a special guest, um, although he's been on several times now. Um, so He's not special a anymore. Regular, yeah, kind of a regular guest. <laughs> Semi-regular. Um, if, if, you, if you come on one more time, I think you get uh, a free guest hosting spot. Nice. Oh, your card nice. gets filled up. But anyway, it is Travis Legg. Hello. Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure to join you here at the Pathcast. Though this time we're not in like an abandoned house, I don't think, anymore. No, although Matthew did take us on a tour by it a couple weeks ago. So yeah, yeah. It's yeah. still was, there. Apparently the paintings are still hanging there, which is nice. I was thoughtful of him. Yeah. We had put Matthew into the sea for this episode because of the current heat wave in the UK. He figured <laughs> yeah, that he could use some time in the sea. Yeah, that's, cool enough. that's the best place for him, I think. I mean, it, it, it really is. He is truly an aquatic creature. Um, and I mean, so we were getting together... Although we were getting to talk about one thing, but in, as is tradition for this podcast, before we even started recording, we ended up spending half an hour talking about how Jubilee is the best X Men. So that is <laughs> accurate. We're talking about X Men in general for thirty <laughs> minutes. I am a Jubilee apologist because too too many people only know her from the freaking cartoon from the nineties, mm-hmm. where she is criminally underused. Mm-hmm. Because she is, she has super interesting powers. People are like, "Oh, she makes fireworks." Like, no, she makes plasma explosions. Like, right. get it right. She can yeah. hurt you. And then also, like, in the X Men live action movies, they didn't really do a lot with that character. And I wish they had because yeah. her powers are cool. I mean, Wolverine trained her to basically be a ninja. Yeah, yeah. She's a vampire later on. She's a vampire ninja, literally. She's just a cool character. And so, like, I don't know. I just, I just feel like some of the characters got a little, little underused, and obviously didn't love their portrayals in the movies. Speaking of which, have either of you rewatched the '91 cartoon recently? Now that it's on Disney Plus. Not recently, but I, I have it on DVD. Oh, fair <laughs> so enough. I rewatched it a few years ago before it was on Disney Plus. Did you feel uh, like it held up? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I still like it a lot. I like that they. Even watching it as an adult, I don't feel like the storylines were too, like, dumbed down for kids. Mm. Like, they actually had some pretty impactful storylines. I'm not saying it's a perfect show or anything. Oh, no, no. But I still enjoyed it. Um, I am looking forward to the resurgence, uh, the the reboot. Yeah. yeah that's the, the what I was going to say is I'm planning on binging it once uh, the X-Men 97 cartoon is about to um, drop. 92, thank or you 90. very much. Is it ninety two? Yeah, because I was seven years old. I, so I will I will <laughs> warn you as I discovered when I tried to watch on Disney Plus, it is out of order for some reason on the app. Oh, oh that's yeah. weird. That, so the, that was a, a, a frustrating experience for me. Um, so you, so you're telling me to keep watching my DVDs? Yes, basically. Like you, you're, you're oh, smart, no DVDs, which I think are probably bootleg. <laughs> I, I I just I just need you. You mentioned a, a poor streaming experience, and I just need to take one second. To whine about uh, Paramount Plus, not keeping oh track God. of where you were. Yeah, no, I I don't watch very much on that because, like, in in our household, my boyfriend is the the bigger Star Trek fan. It's mm-hmm. because you don't have faith of the heart, Dixie. We established this on Twitter. <laughs> Damn it, Travis. <laughs> but um, I do watch Lower Decks um yes. really regularly when it's out, and like, yeah, that's so frustrating. But if it like if you have to like turn it off in the middle of an episode or whatever, you come back and it's like, I don't know what you were doing. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, but you should know what I was doing because you have my data. Yeah. Also uh, data, Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, at least for Voyager, um, the subtitles occasionally will show up uh, backwards and upside down. What? <laughs> um, when, How does that even happen? Whenever, I think it's coding error because whenever there are parenthetical, like close caption stuff, 
the parentheses screw up the order of how the lines show up on screen. So it'll show up like in reverse order. Oh, wow. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. It's real damn frustrating. <laughs> I bet. Um, but alas, we are not here to talk about the inequities of various streaming services. Although we probably Aww. could fill an entire hour with that. If we, if we oh, chose easy. To. <laughs> oh, oh. I will say a couple things, okay. Eddie, because I like giving you recommendations and sometimes I like give them on the podcast so people know what we're up to. Okay. I have played a few video games recently. I'm like partway into a bunch of video games because I have ADHD. Okay. Um, so I can't play one video game. I know the But I, I downloaded the game Cloudpunk, which I don't know if you've seen it. I think I may have picked it up in a bundle at some point. Yeah. So it's like a voxel game where you fly around and deliver packages um, yeah. in, a, in, in like a cyberpunk world. But spoiler for the first 10 minutes of the game. You have a thing that you install into your car very early on, and it's literally like your dog's personality. And so your dog talks to you what? the whole time. And what? part of the reason that you're raising money is to try to get a new body for your dog. I somehow misses. Okay, yeah. I'm and I, I was so happy that that was like one of the main premises was like, also there, there, there are a lot of choices, like, because you're working for kind of like a shady package delivery person. Right. So you'll like pick up a package and you're like, why is it ticking? And they're like, don't ask questions. <laughs> and then you can decide if you deliver it to where you're supposed to or, like, dump it down a garbage chute. And oh. if you deliver it where you're supposed to, which I did because I was very much like, okay, don't ask questions. Like, I'm just playing the game right. Um, you know, and it, like, the next day there's like, oh, there, there was an explosion and a whole building went down. And you're like, was that me? And your boss is like, no. <laughs> don't ask questions. Um, really, really cute little game. I'm also super loving Death Stranding right now which I didn't play in 2019, but I've owned for like two years and finally was like, I'm going to play it. It's amazing. It's so weird. Right. Uh, and then also I started playing Stray, the cyber cat game. I, I have not played it, but um, my, my uh, Metamore, he just got it from on his PlayStation 5. I was playing it this morning and I was just like, is that the cat game? Is it yeah, Stray? And I'm like, oh God, okay. Yeah. I will warn people because you are playing a cat and you are occasionally in peril if you're not okay with, seeing any kind of harm to animals it's not gory or anything but you do occasionally like fall down and stuff and and limp for a second so just be, be understand that that's a thing you're going to see in this game right. but past that it's fucking great you got a little robot friend you're running around in a cyberpunk city full of robots like it's and, and like you can do all the things you have to do to play the game and you could also do a bunch of just cat things like scratch carpets and poles and rub on people's legs <laughs> so it, it can be i'm just a cat simulator right yeah absolutely. i mean awesome. you're still you're still in a cyberpunk city and you're not going to get much out of the game if you don't like play the game but there is quite a bit of it where it's like you walk up something and it's like it's like oh press q or whatever you're pressing on playstation and it's just like you're going to lap water until you decide to stop I, I think I know a lot of people that would get quite a bit out of that <laughs> it's so <laughs> good it's so much fun um yeah, it's 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 great. It's there's there's no real combat in it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of like running and tricking people and solving puzzles and getting into places that you shouldn't, you know, because you're a cat. There's it's, apparently it's an achievement um, called Chatty, where if you actually meow in game over 100 times, you get that. That's awesome. I got it. I got a rare achievement because I saw a basketball on the edge of a roof, and I was like, well, clearly I'm supposed to push this into the bucket that's below it. Right. And I did, and they were like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Um, oh yeah, because one of the other mechanics is that you can knock things off ledges because you're a cat. Well, of course, of course. Right? Yeah, it would be a pretty poorly designed game if you couldn't. Like, like literally, 
some some of the plot kicking off is you walking on a keyboard until the keyboard starts talking back to you and being like, oh, somebody's input something, even though it's just gibberish because you're a cat. Right. Like, you're not an intelligent cat. You're just a cat with a robot friend. It's pretty great. Anyway, Speak- I, I don't tell you about those games because cyberpunk and animals and yeah, I thought I thought you should hear about both those games. No, I appreciate that, actually. And there's a, another game I just shared with the Discord before I started recording. Um, it is a is a game jam game that I stumbled across uh, called Covert Critter. You can find it on itch.io for free. Um, but it's basically, it's it's very much an homage to PlayStation 1 Metal Gear, but you play a gecko. So you don't have a gun. You can only sneak, but you can actually change color and, and hide that way. Oh, that's cool. But you can't move when you're changed color because, you know, you're blending into the background. I love that. Um, so I don't know how it plays, but I was like, well, if you're, you know, if anyone ever needed the Trinity uh, Continuum Assassins and Pugmire crossover, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love yeah. it. I love it. That's dope. Uh, but speaking of games... Yeah, we should talk about some other games. Excellent segue. <laughs> right? Speaking of ge- games in general, <laughs> is that what we do? The like concept of a game. <laughs> Speaking of games, let's talk about let's talk about comics. No, um, uh, this month for our ongoing tenth anniversary celebration, we are celebrating Scarlands. Uh, and so it, it made the most sense to, to bring Travis on to talk about Scarlands in general, but we'll also talk about specifically uh, uh, the upcoming de- out just out, out Advanced Rust. Yeah. Um, but uh, assuming you know every episode is someone's first, if someone's kind of just now popping in because they're curious about Scarlands, let's start at the beginning, Travis. Uh, so, sure. kind of what is Scarlands? How, how did it come to be? Do you know? So, well, um, how Scarlands came to be actually is a pretty funny story that um, when Wizards of the Coast put out uh, Dungeons and Dragons 3rd Edition along with the open game license, they released a player's handbook and a Dungeon Master's Guide. And the Dungeon Master's Guide, I believe, had monsters in the back of it, but it was a small selection. Mm -hmm. And they had not released a monster manual. Um, so I don't know which one of the brilliant minds at White Wolf it was that put this together, but they were like, if we drop from what I understand from the war stories, um, if we, they say they were like, if we drop everything, we can beat them to press with a monster manual. I think it was Steve Wick that had the idea, but I'm not 100 percent on that. But it could be. Sounds that would make so, sense. That, that would that would match with the glaze, glazy eyed look that he had, like the distant like <laughs> look of horror he had when I brought it up to him at Gen Con. Like, oh, I'd love to hear about the process. <laughs> it was like, no, you wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> No, he was, he was very, uh, he's, I, I love Steve, he's great. But um, mm-hmm. anyways, uh, so they uh, b- built the monster manual. And um, from my understanding, it included uh, some creatures and a little bit of kind of lore, kind of from Stu's home game and Steve's home game and from Rich's uh, Crossroads mm-hmm. Continent. Uh, some of that stuff kind of made its way in there. And they sort of just built this lore up around these monsters. And when it, hit it was it beat the monster manual out so it was going like mm-hmm. you know gangbusters so uh they from there i believe did a gazetteer for gelspad which is the continent that fifth edition sets most of the action on mm-hmm. um at this point and it grew from there 
Um, and uh, in terms of the lore itself of the world, um, Skarn for many, many aeons was uh, dominated by the Titans, um, these beings that are sort of inherently tied to the nature of the world. Uh, they represent raw concept. They are fundamentally a part of Skarn. Um, and they eventually had children that became the gods. Uh, because the gods drew power from the worship of mortals and the Titans basically didn't, like mortals were pretty much something to play with, otherwise beneath their notice, um, the gods decided to rise up and take the Titans down uh, so that they could have the things that gave them power be safe. Mm -hmm. So this divine war breaks out. Um, the world gets just wrecked as the Titans are chopped up and imprisoned and banished because they can't be killed, but they can be, um, you know, rendered immobile. Uh, for example, the, the sea on the eastern coast of Gelsbad is called the Blood Sea because it's filled with blood because there's a Titan chained at the bottom of it, still bleeding from the wound where his heart was ripped out. Like you do. Um, as yeah, one does, you know, you know. It's, a, it's a random blood thing. So it's it's, a nice, fine. it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's a good vacation spot. Um, <laughs> just don't eat. Don't eat the shellfish there. It's not safe. Um, but uh, I mean, if you cook it, it's probably fine. <laughs> just don't eat it raw. Cook yeah, it definitely blood. do not eat it raw. Um, yeah. So um, the divine war ended 150 years prior to the start date of the game. Technically, 151 years uh, prior to the start date of Dead Man's Rest, um, because it sort of assumes a start date in early 151 AV. Um, so what the result of that is in this fantasy world is that you have a world whose landscape was transformed by this war between gods and titans, mm -hmm. and this happened in living memory. So if you have longer-lived uh, peoples like dwarves and elves, some of them might have fought alongside the gods in the Divine War. Um, or like a human might have a, a, a sword that belonged to their grandparent that literally came from Corian's forge, the forge of the god. Mm -hmm. So um, now the world is trying to rebuild and there are various kingdoms sort of sp have sp sprouted up uh, throughout the land, um, all with kind of their own agendas. And uh, Dead Man's Rust focuses on an area of central uh, Gelspad uh, basically the, um, the, the region is the Hornsaw forest region. It also gets into some of the Gascar peaks, uh, with Glivet Hotel and, um, the golden city of the Howell Legionnaires, the Gleaming Valley. Um, but so that's kind of where we focus the attention during Dead Man's Rust mm. is, is that geographical region. Uh, did that answer the question? It, it did. I mean, I, I, I got, I got a little rambly. Sorry. No, that, that, that's fine. That's why we have you here. So to, to ramble about this very topic. I appreciate it. Um, Thank you. But I mean, to kind of go back to Scarlands as a whole. Um, uh, so, would you qualify this as a post-apocalyptic fantasy game or a horror um, fantasy game? I would say it's got uh, f flavors of both. So the the core is a dark fantasy mm -hmm. at, at its core, and then there are levers you can sort of twist with post-apocalypse versus kind of more of a a gritty um i don't want to say realism but like a 
a grittier, more serious tone. Uh, there are some very bad people in the Scarred Lands that do very bad things. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to explore, you know, breaking up uh, slaver rings, for example, that is an th- element that's present in the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you have those darker, more, uh, again, for lack of a better term, gritty. Um, the term that I've seen thrown around and used to describe Scarred Lands that I think fits it best is a grim bright. Um, mm. everything's broken and screwed up, but okay. you have the power to fix it. Um, as opposed to like a grim dark setting would be like, everything's broken and screwed up. There's nothing you can do. Uh, just try to survive in the scarred lands. The heroes have the power to make a true impact on the world. Um, you can go and, you know, these people that are doing these bad things have names and places. You can find them and you can go fight them and you can make them go away. And then the world is primed so that you as the story, or as a game master, I should say, um, can fill those gaps as power vacuums come up. There's, it's extremely detailed, all the different organizations that are going on in there. Um, so you can mm-hmm. really do like a political game where it's like, all right, I don't like Calastia's policies, so I'm going to try to take out their government. And then mm-hmm. who fills in those gaps? What monster do I summon by accidentally taking out, you know, when I accidentally when I take out this other bad guy, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So you can play with that or you can also do like total disaster, like post-apocalypse fantasy where you're literally like um, battling on one half of the sundered corpse of a titan against wow. the enemies that are crawling out from his flesh that have been feasting on him for the last 150 years. So like that whole spectrum can has its place, you know, uh, within the scarred lands overall. If that makes so sense. it sounds like I mean you're you're talking. It's interesting how you're kind of trying to zero in because it's not what some people would call low fantasy, right? It, it's extremely magical and epic in a lot of ways. Absolutely, yeah. But it's just it darker. is darker, right? Yeah, which I think a lot of people don't expect when they hear like high fantasy, because high fantasy tends to be you know your 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 lords of the rings right right um and like or you know other epic big fantasy things and then when you like this this honestly is closer to like song of ice and fire Mm -hmm. than a lot of other things um which still isn't a great comparison but like as far as like high fantasy that also has like a, 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 a lot of dark weirdness in it right that would make some sense and also a lot of politics obviously um Still not a great comparison because really what Scarlands is based on is like Greek myth. Right, um, right. Although the, pulled pulled into a very different fantasy setting. Right. The the core you'll recognize if you look at the gods and the titans, you'll recognize a lot of core personality traits from the from Greek pantheon, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the mythology is reframed and refocused through uh, the lens of the greater world that they were building. And even now in fifth edition, there's some reframing and refocusing of that mythology just to uh, partially to match with current scholarship about some of that mythology, Mm. um, but also um, to match modern sensibilities about some of that mythology. Yeah. Yeah. We, we definitely updated quite a few things. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's very sensitive material regarding uh, Tennille and, Mm -hmm. You know, there we had endless conversations about how do we? Because one of the things to, that's important to me when I'm working on a Scarred Lands thing 
is um, if possible, if there's something that just has to be, it has to go, then it has to go, right? That's one, right. that's one thing about adapting old material. But if it's possible to filter it through a lens where you're like, no, we're setting up a villain here. Or we're telling an important story here. Or we're, we're doing, we're bringing something to the table that if the players choose to engage it is going to be a value add. That's where I would like to try to look for those spaces. Um, and that's where I think there's a lot of benefit in, in uh, the gameplay and game design space uh, that often gets occupied by the pizza cutters, if that makes sense, right? <laughs> For those who don't know the term, that's a term that we use to mean all edge, no point. <laughs> right. Because um, you can, because I think those areas of design are great for telling certain stories, mm -hmm. as long as everyone's on board and you are communicating that clearly to your audience, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a person who I've I've been very open about it on on the the podcast and elsewhere. Like, I enjoy challenging media. I enjoy media that makes me go like, ooh, sometimes, you know, like I've, I've, I've always been fine with that. Um, and if you're not fine with that, I understand. Don't engage with that part of it, you know? But if you are fine with that and you want to explore that, you totally can. Um, and it, it, it really, I mean, just like any other game, definitely, you know, use safety tools. Make sure right. people are on board with whatever you're doing. And maybe don't give the Scarlands Player's Guide to like a 10-year-old. Right. Yeah. On I, their would, own. I would say, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I often, I, I'm, I'm a quarter joking when I uh, draw comparisons between Scarred Lands and Heavy Metal Magazine, but mm. I mean, they're, they're, they are an apt comparison. And if you wouldn't give an episode, an issue of Heavy Metal Magazine to the kid, don't give them the Scarred Lands Player's Guide. <laughs> you know, I guess would be a good, yeah, uh, for parents that are my age anyway. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. No, that, 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 that makes sense. Uh, Cause yeah, like, I I love Scarlet as a setting, but it, it also is a lot darker and weirder and has more adult themes than like most of your you know D and D settings do. Yeah, and and so. by that I mean the official ones because a, a, a lot of people have explored a more adult version of D and D in supplements. Um, oh, but, sure. yeah. But ours yeah. is such a cool like fleshed out world that feels so different to me from any of the current D and D settings, like the official ones. Um, and I, I love the official D&D settings. I am, I'm never going to like rag on D&D. I play it all the time, but like, I just think our setting is so interesting and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to actually get to play in it a little bit more. It's a really fun world to play in. And we've, we, I know we've just spent five minutes talking about how dark and gritty it can be. It can be the opposite too, though. Um, it can be bright and hopeful yeah. and you know, one of the things that we focus on in Dead Man's Rest, we spend a significant portion of the game uh, in the of the module, I should say, in the Gleaming Valley, which is the bastion of hope on Galspad. It is a new place, um, relatively. It was created since the Divine War and is populated largely by people who either were created since the Divine War or... Uh, are redeemed, which are uh, peoples that used to be Titan spawn who have rejected the Titans and begun worshiping the gods. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So there's this whole like swelling of like new hope and new possibilities and new frontiers. And, and they're really trying to build kind of um, not even, they're not even trying to build a utopia. They're trying to build a good place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And of course we imperil that because oh, sure we want you to want to save them, <laughs> you know? Um, but uh, the, you can certainly take that aspect out of Dead Man's Rust, that, that setting 
from Dead Man's Rest and run it in a situation that doesn't involve the the peril for the people as a whole. Yeah, right? totally. You know, and then and then have a very hopeful, very nice. And there are some. I know. I'm sure we'll probably get into it a little bit, but there are a couple of NPCs in this adventure that I just absolutely fell in love with. They are so adorable. <laughs> they are just the, Honestly, the cutest. As you're describing it, um, it reminds me of a word that I stumbled across when I was trying to articulate anima and how it differs from cyberpunk, and and it's a relatively recent uh, uh, portmanteau of hope punk. Oh, you mean you mean the word I keep introducing to things? Yes, right. No, that came from you. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to take that away from you. But yeah, yeah, you, no, you, I... you brought it up. Because um, I love the idea of hope punk, where like. Yeah, there's shit to fight against, and there's shit that's bad, but like you're fighting to make it better, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, and yeah, that is very much uh, that is very much Scarlands in general, and absolutely the uh, central theme of Dead Man's Rest. Like, I definitely feel like even in the real world right now, I'm trying to live a hope punk life. Sure, I mean, yeah. we Where live. I'm like, a- I'm like, shit's bad, but come on, guys, we got to fight it. Right, we live in a hope punk setting. <laughs> I, I mean, I never wanted to, you know, me either. But here and- we are. But yeah, and yet. Interesting uh, times and all that. Right. So, I mean, we're dancing around this, so let's kind of d- dive into it. So, I mean, what is the kind of the high level pitch for Dead Man's Rest? I mean, obviously, it's, it's a chronicle for Scarlet but like. There what? are dead men and they get a rust disease. Good job, Dixie. Thank you so much. <laughs> that is the high level pitch. That is uh, slightly less high level than that. <laughs> that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's between floors on an elevator. Right, pitch. right. Let's bring the plane down just a touch. Dead man, run, <laughs> bye. <laughs> like, um, that is that is my pitch as I run past right, you in the right. middle of a. Of say, a, 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 a that's the end of the episode. Trail. Like, okay, you can find me at pugstoday.com. You can find me at yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dead man's Ross, bye. Bye. No, I mean um, like what's the like, let's get like the back of the book text level, right? Right. So, um, what happens is. Uh, as the characters attend the festival, the uh, United Chronicles in the city of Leone, uh, which is the Manticora sort of capital of their confederacy, mm. um, you uh, they come across an old bard by the name of Dradaki Bronzeleaf who just wants to go home. He wants an escort to take him home to the Broadreach Horizon, which is... Uh, this little area of the Horn- Hornsaw Forest that's been purified from the taint that bothers the rest of the forest. Um, when the, the party arrives there, they find out that there are some Hollow Legionnaires also in the area who've uh, started to go missing. A couple of them are showing some strange symptoms. And, and a Hollow Legionnaire is basically an animated suit of armor. Right. They are the, the souls of those who often but not always died heroes. Um, they definitely had something that brought them back through, something that uh, the universe thought was worthy enough. And they've been filtered through one of the spires in the gold in the uh, Gleaming Valley uh, into a suit of armor that they're magically bound into. So they come through, and some of them um, will have very strict, very strong memories of who they were and a good sense of their identity. Others get occasional flashes of some life that doesn't really matter to them, but turns out they know how to knit, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it can be anywhere yeah. on that spectrum. So if you're playing a Hollow Legionnaire, you get to decide, do I want to be Alex Murphy or do I want to be a blank slate? You know, you get to decide like what kind of story you want to tell. Um, there's also, uh, we wound up, 
I swear it wasn't like intentional, but we wound up with a predominantly trans writing team on this book mm-hmm. um, and found, I think, uh, I think the writers found some um, very cool connection with the Hollow Legionnaires because of that um, sort of reacquaintance with who they are that they go through after they yeah. are reborn. Um, yeah. And I, and you'll find there's a lot of, of the how there, there are a lot of uh, trans and non-binary characters in this book. Um, but you'll find mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of the how legionnaires um, that some of them just completely shun the idea of gender. Um, there's at least one who, uh, there's like a side quest that involves them getting their old body so that they can uh, lay him to peace and sort of con- confronting that identity in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really cool. It's just the writing on it blew me away. Um, and I'm, I feel very fortunate in that all I had to do was make sure that the stuff was like formatted right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I got to kind really of cool. skim a lot of it when I was doing the proofing and page accessing because that's something that I do for most of our books now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I was like, this is a great chronicle. Like, I would love to run this for a table, you know? Thank Maybe you. I can finally get one of my D&D groups to play something, to play, you know, a different setting besides an officially published one. Because I'm like, I'm like, but this, there's so much cool stuff in it. Like, if you look at the the Scarlands Players Guide, like there's so many interesting characters and spells and magic items, and there's more spells and magic items in this book. Um, there's stuff in Frostlands of Fenrilic. Like I got, you know, I I, I was playing a sentient ooze person. Yes. That was cool as shit. Wow. <laughs> like there's just so many options in Scarlands that are only really supported in, in homebrew. Um, in our in, in our upcoming Scarlands game, I'm playing an Asafi. Uh, which is a snake person, mm-hmm. um, which I thought were really cool when I edited Scarlands you know, five or six fucking years ago, however long ago that was, seven years yeah. ago. Um, I thought they were super cool. And so I I, I, I chose to make one. And it, it was really easy to plug all their stats into the D&D Beyond homebrew thing. Mm-hmm. So if I made that public, there would just be an Asathi you could just select in, uh, in D&D Beyond. Um, it kind of makes me want to plug all the rest of our stuff into there and be like, play these races. They're cool. Right. Here you um, go. I mean, seriously, it's, it's there, the various different collections that we've got in terms of just the subclasses and the way they tie into the setting, the, the, the races and the way they tie into the setting, everyone it's incredibly intricate, but also the, one of the things that I find cool about it is that it's very approachable as well. Like you can do a deep, deep lore dive into what the Asathi history is Mm -hmm. and they have this huge Mm -hmm. backstory. And at one point they had an empire that spanned all of Gelsbad and all this stuff. Right. Or you can play it at the level of like, yeah, that's all well and good. I'm a snake person from a small town who has a sword and wants to go and, you know, fight oozes i have Ooh. two swords <laughs> exactly because i'm a rogue <laughs> but actually to kind of tie back to something you mentioned earlier is am i understanding correctly the redeemed concept is basically a way to let players play 
um, this is the, this is a bad term, quote unquote, evil races or races that were corrupted as player characters, right? Sure. Yeah. And so, and this was a decision. Um, I'm I'm always happy to point out when Skylands beats D and D to the punch, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's not <laughs> me that did it. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean I, like you said earlier, this is definitely uh, uh, from day one. Skylands is beating D and D to the punch, right? When the Redeem were introduced with the 5th edition Player's Guide, um, the idea of the races as good or evil was set aside in the setting, and and it became a matter of do you revere the Titans or do you worship the gods? Mm -hmm. And even if you worship no god, you're still considered redeemed as long as you don't revere the Titans. Right, Mm -hmm. you have to opt into evil. You're not just inherently evil. Right. So every Sutak that is out there sutak are these the horse folk that are still titan worshipers mm-hmm. every sutak has the ability to walk away and become despite their evil cult the, the culture that they're being raised in is quote-unquote evil um they all have the ability to walk away and become an iron bread mm-hmm. just by walking away and choosing a name now you become an iron bread that doesn't necessarily mean that the, that an iron bread whose mom you stabbed in the last raid is going to be cool with that. <laughs> you know, right. like you still have your conflicts and whatnot, but no one is inherently evil. And then we've gotten the chance to really expound on some of these uh, ideas as we've explored uh, peoples that, you know, were seen as Titan spawn Um and so there was propaganda about them. And so how does that propaganda match up with the reality? Uh, mm-hmm. I've really loved what we've been able to do with orcs kind of peppered throughout all of the books mm-hmm. uh, that I've worked on so far for 5e. There's all, almost, I think in every book, there's at least one or two orcs that are um, engaged in something that you just don't generally assume is an orc profession. Mm, okay. You know what I mean, and they and they have and they have these sort of rich stories about their own mythology and about how they feel that the stars guided them. And when it comes to the like the end of the divine war and them becoming redeemed, uh, the way it's presented is that the that while other species kind of fought and, and festered about it, and uh, the Slytherin, who are the rat folk, were very just kind of like they were so new that they were like whatever you say. Um, also, only... <laughs> I always want to point this out that we called the rat folk Slytherin before Harry Potter. Was before Harry Potter, so yeah. we beat so we beat J.K. to the punch too. I mean, um, that's great. But uh, <laughs> she can get the fuck out of here. Um, but like, uh, no, I am. I just always say that because pe- people hear Slytherin and they assume that's going to be the snake people. Right. Oh yeah, no, and we're like, no, uh, we, we we named it first, uh, just without a Y. Right. To pass that same word. <laughs> Right, but they had just been created like within the last 50 years of the Divine War, so they're really new. Um, mm-hmm. But with the orcs, they were like, no, we just backed the wrong horse in this fight. Um, so, sorry. Horse. Right. Yes. Evil horse cult. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, we backed the wrong titan, sorry. And uh, that was pretty much it. And by the way, we have this rich culture full of traditions and tattooing and, uh, and, and, and cuisine. And, and raising uh, wolf mounts that we would like to share with you now. And yeah. so the rest of the redeemed peoples are all very standoffish about this because they were brutal enemies until recently. But it's not, oh, orcs are evil. You know what I mean? Now it's now we have the, the, the political play of 
these two societies sort of slowly engaging one another, which is another aspect that you don't have to dive into. If you just want it to be like orcs or buddy, buddy with everybody now, have at it. Right. You can decide if you wanted to play that reintegration story or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, when we say races, we are just using the D&D terminology. Right. Um, and some of as, them are separate races and some of them aren't. <laughs> right. And and as uh, we talk about, like, um, you know, some of the rules changes, the people's appendix for uh, Yagman's Guide to Gelsbad, um, pretty much it's pretty close to what D and D wound up doing with their lineage shifts in terms of customizing your lineage and things like that. Uh, it's not quite the same, but it's, it's very similar. So that was another place. It was good to see, like we were on kind of the cusp of like where things were going. Um, and there are other, there are other uh, games or game creators who've done similar approaches to it, which is cool too. Um, but the point being is that you have a lot, you have just as much control over, your character choices as you would in any other D&D setting. Mm-hmm. And yeah. since we're kind of in this space, um, you mentioned that there were some uh, NPCs you were really excited about. So like what kinds of characters can people expect to find throughout playing Dead Man's Rust? I mean, there's all kinds of, the ones I'm going to tell you about right this second that I'm super excited about, I don't know if anybody else is going to be, but my favorite character in the whole book is Corn Silk Sam, who is a ironbred, um, who is in a... Uh, polycule with um that involves the innkeeper in uh the city of equius who is an amazing cook but has terrible ale and um yeah corn silk sam is just this he he works the stables at the end but he's an iron bread mm-hmm. and he's got a terrible sense of humor um so he just likes to do things like sit inside the stalls and look out at people as they're coming in for the first time and then talk to him to see if you can make him jump. <laughs> He's just horsing around. No. Exactly. I, I had to say it. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not sorry at all. I'm but, really not. You know, on one hand you have corn silk Sam horsing around. On the other hand, you have Tagora, who's another one of my favorite characters. She's an apprentice of Lucian Danes. Uh, she belongs to a new people that we introduced in this book called the wretched who are undead, who are created from um, kind of shards of consciousness that are stolen from other people hmm. and then patched together into sort of a Frankensteinian mind. And then they become their own person. Uh, and Tagora, I think, is um, an incredible NPC. Partially, like, as she's presented in the book, She's just kind of a no-nonsense, loyal apprentice. I'm here. I'm going to back my boss's play. Um, and there's some little tidbits near the end. I don't want to spoil anything. But there's some little tidbits near the end where it talks about like where the campaign might go from here mm-hmm. that really start to unveil a little bit more about how mm-hmm. uh, ruthless Tagora might be. <laughs> um, really? <laughs> I want to say that my favorite just names that I ran across in the text were uh, the the loose screws, mm-hmm. uh, which are just four like gangsters essentially, uh, named Chad, Brad, Vlad, and Bartholomew. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I love them, even though they're just a bunch of random like street toughs that are hassling somebody. 
But their names are Chad, Brad, Vlad, and Bartholomew. God damn it, Bartholomew. <laughs> we had a theme going here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, I also like... For all that I have teased Travis very publicly about the amount of page exodus that I had to fill in in this book, mm. um, yes. I do like that uh, y'all chose to do a list of all the NPCs in the beginning, along with what page they're found on and their pronouns and uh, alignment and everything, uh, because that's just a really useful tool. Um, if you just like, like, if you're deep into this chronicle, right, been playing for several months or whatever, several sessions, and someone's like, who is that person from three sessions ago you can just kind of like look it up real quick yeah absolutely it, it seems yeah. like that thing you could like print that page or pages out and then just have that on reference and yeah. so that like, yeah like, where's oh like well look about in here okay cool it, it it's the non-binary oh yeah right here it is boom okay that's probably page blah blah, blah. look it up yeah that is something that i i have not seen but i've heard about and it's one of those things like wow why don't more adventures have that because I also can't tell you how many times in a game I've been taking notes and I've just written down a name like a silly person. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we come back to it way later and I'm like, you know, uh, uh, I don't remember anything about this character, but I have it written down here. Right. And so you can just look it up and be like, oh, that's who that was. Right. Um, right. Because, because your character should remember that even if your human self does not. Well, and I've been the GM many a time where the, the player looks at me and goes, listen, I have um, Teresa Goblin uh, oddly fl- flirtatious written down here. Who is that? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, dude. We've been playing this game for four years. You've probably <laughs> run into a couple of oddly flirtatious goblins by this point. <laughs> and your game's probably very <laughs> Yeah, no, we are like in my in my ongoing D and D games because we don't play you know every week. We're constantly like, "What was that guy's name again?" <laughs> when really, for our characters, it's been like a day in game right. time. But for me, it's been three weeks. Well, and I'm and, like, uh... oh yeah, no, trust me, because like there's a uh, there's a couple of games I was in where um, we were playing them pre COVID, and so there's like a year or more gap between games. Like right. for us, it's been like 24 hours, but like in real life, it's been three years. <laughs> so it's, like, three years in a pandemic. Yeah, right. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> It's a Gandalf thing. I have the memory of this place. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it is a, uh, a hefty appendix, but it literally contains every named NPC in the game. Um, and I just, I was passionate about including it. I really appreciate the work you had to do to uh, make it work, Dixie. Thank you for that. Um, Aww, but I was, I was passionate about it being in there because of that very reason, because we have so many named NPCs. And this campaign is not on rails. There are... Oh, uh, no, there's a million options. Yeah, there's so many ways. So you can go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, there are, what is it, 29 different villages of Broadreach Elves Wow, that you might interact with. And all of them have que- subquests at, in them and all of them have named NPCs. So, yeah, like it's a lot to keep track of. Wow. So we wanted to make sure we had that, um, that appendix up front so that you can just always find out where you need to be, you know. Out of curiosity, how many pages is this? Uh, it's two uh, two fifty in total. That's a really that's that's I think even bigger than some of the D anD D official chronicle yeah. books. Oh, so yeah, it's a it's a good sized chronicle book, and like like Travis was saying, it has a lot of things where you know you'll you'll run across a section where it says you know if you have so and so with you, this is what will happen. If you don't, this is what will you know. There's 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 a lot of stuff that's dependent on what the party does. Um, which I always think is useful in a book because I have had, especially with newer DMs, people who maybe aren't as comfortable running a chronicle, 
Mm-hmm. And so they don't know how to deal with options if the players do something weird sometimes. Right. They can get really like flustered. And if the character does something that isn't addressed in the book, they're like, well, I don't know how to deal with this. And there's a lot of stuff addressed in this book. <laughs> so unless your party just like turns around and leaves, mm-hmm. right. really not much <laughs> that isn't covered. And it's actually, it's actually interesting because I haven't read this yet. So I'm coming from a, a place of ignorance, but um that does feel a lot of like some of the video games I've worked on because it's the, you know, with video game, you have to put absolutely everything. Cause if it's not programmed in, you can't do it. And so I've certainly had plenty of times like, okay, if they have this character or if they have that character, if they have this and that character, if they have no characters. Um, but you're right for, for someone who's a, 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 a novice GM um, being able to see those options there can sometimes help to, get towards the if you don't have to improvise as much then you're more comfortable with improvisation where it's just like this guy happens but you figure out what's what's going on depending on who's there that can feel more overwhelming well and it's funny that you mentioned video games too because one of the authors on the book lewis harris um is like a content lead on diablo 4 right Mm. now um and so like as we were doing when I do something like this, I like to do a series of meetings um, where we just sort of like fire ideas back and forth and whatnot. Um, and that was one of the things that he brought up during those meetings is like, as we were talking about these quest chains and how they were going to play out, you know, making sure that uh, the writers were trying to be sensitive to the idea that somebody might not have item X, Y, or Z in this place how do we address it right she wants to want to have dead ends there right so that was yeah that, that was really due to lewis's design insight um from working on video games so absolutely yeah i think i think video games have actually made a lot of us better designers mm-hmm. um because oh, yeah once sure. you start kind of like going like oh like n- now that people are used to games like skyrim which has been right. out for you know over a decade now Right. But 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 people are, are are used to that kind of game. It's like, okay, so we have to let people be a little more open ended. Which is why if you look at even the earlier like D D five E uh adventures versus the newer ones, and especially the ones that were adapted from like AD and D adventures, mm-hmm. they're so on rails compared to the newer ones. Like I just picked up Radiant Citadel and it's kind of like Here's a bunch of things you can possibly do, and here's a bunch of other things you could possibly do, and here's some adventures if you want to play the adventures, but also you can connect these to any plane you want. Have fun! Yeah. Um, and there's lots of advice for running that, which I think is really cool. I'd um, also like to point out, not to interrupt you, Dixie, that Radiant Citadel, uh, one of the writers on Radiant Citadel is Jess Ross, who also is a writer on Dead Man's Rust, proving it's true. that once again, Scarlands beat D&D. <laughs> <laughs> That's a trend here. I love Jess Ross. I'm so excited that we're playing with them. Oh, mm-hmm. Jess is amazing. Yeah, because uh, yeah, we are. We have an upcoming actual play as well. Yes, um, this, is, this is all prologue for an AP we're going to be doing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, the, so, the, so the central conflict is: you meet this guy, he just wants to go home, and then you get involved in Broadreach politics, and also there's a disease affecting Hollow Legionnaires. Yes, and then you come to find out that the disease is more than a disease. Yes, um, it is a curse, Ooh. Uh, and uh, so powerful that uh, it can't be broken with normal healing magics and so powerful that only one party could be responsible. The villainous necromancers of Glyvodotel who are our villains for this story. I love Glyvodotel as like a concept. Right. <laughs> I don't ever want to go there. Right. No, but no, 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 no. But I, <laughs> I love the whole concept of Glyvodotel. 
Um, I loved it when I was first reading some of the other Scarredland stuff because it is just like a whole city of necromancers and dead people. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's fascinating. And they're not the nice ones. People hear about Scarredlands and they hear about Hollow Faust. Right. Yeah. Hollow Faust is this city that I love, by the way, and would love to expand on more um, in future stuff if, if allowed. But um, they are lawful good necromancers who use the undead for like public works, Mm -hmm. right? So like your sanitation department is zombies, for example. Um, Their standing army are mostly undead. Mm -hmm. Hotel is made up of necromancers who were um, sentenced to death there for the immorality of the magics they were using. So they fled and set up their own city. So these are not the nice necromancers. These are very, very bad people. Um, and they run a completely dystopian, horrifying city where um, among the crimes you can, or among the punishments you might suffer for a crime is a process called sharding, where they pull a shard of your mind out and place it inside of an undead person. Don't love that. No. Okay. No, it's, it's not fun. Yeah. I do love uh, this is a setting where the words villainous necromancer are not, in fact, redundant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're good necromancers and they're villainous necromancers. Some people use their necromancy for good, <laughs> and some right. people don't. Right. Uh, but um, so we're getting a little close on time, but I do want to touch on we, we, we've glossed over it a couple of times, but um, a lot of these chronic books, both official D&D ones and the ones that we're doing here with Dead Man's Rust, often usually have a fair amount of things that are player-facing. Um, so we, you mentioned there's a new uh, people, there's some new spells. So kind of talk about some of the, the bits and bobs that can be new that players can be excited about for Dead Man's Rust. Sure. Um, so there's actually uh, two new peoples introduced. Oh, okay. no, I apologize. There's three new peoples introduced. Uh, we get our first write-up in 5th edition of the Broadreach Elves. Mm-hmm. Um which are a bit different from the Ganja selves, uh, enough to merit their own write-up. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the introduction of the Wretched, who are these undead who are created through the sharding process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, depending on how long the corpse was dead when it was turned into a Wretched, mm-hmm. depends on what your subspecies is and mm-hmm. what your feeding requirements are. So if you're a relatively fresh corpse, you're basically a vampire. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are a skeleton, you uh, crack open bones and suck the marrow out of them. Ooh, wow. Yeah, fun stuff. Good times. Good times. And then the third is uh, an unlockable, uh, oddly an enough. Unlockable character. Yeah, so if there's a certain quest chain that if you complete within, this, within Dead Man's Rust, uh, you are able to help in the creation of a variant of the hollow legionnaires called hollow elves who are the ghosts of elves in uh wooden armor Hmm. um so that's something now you can of course of course incorporate these without running that quest chain as well if you just want to play them because i think they're really cool um but there's a very in-game reason why you sort of give birth to this new species in the uh in in the chronicle so that's kind of that was kind of neat that is neat um, and then we have new uh, subclasses as well. Some of my favorites. If you like pets, you are going to absolutely love the prodigalist arcane tradition, which is uh, surrounds. Uh, it's basically the concept is is that you are a master of familiars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that what Jess is playing in our game? Yes. So you wind up at as you at, when you capstone. 
that I think you get five familiars mm-hmm. and you can um, become a gestalt of their abilities. So if you're like, I have a flying familiar, I'm going to take its flying speed. That one over there can turn invisible. This mm-hmm. one over here has a claw attack and that one is resistant to fire damage. Now mm-hmm. I have all those abilities. <laughs> My question is, do you keep your familiars in red and white balls? <laughs> You could, you could, yeah. It's kind of the Pokemon trainer. Right. Uh, the other prodigal. Arcane... <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, the other arcane tradition is animation, which gives us a new take on necromancy mm-hmm. uh, that allows you to do things like rebuke undead, uh, take control of other people's undead, make flesh golems, fun stuff. Wow. Uh, you can start building custom undead as you level up. Also, as somebody who's playing a barbarian in one of my main D&D games, I like Path of the Rage Witch. Yes, Path of the Rage Witch it's is... It's cool as fuck. It makes you like an arcane barbarian, essentially. Really? Right. And you can cast while you're raging. And Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it has... There are limitations to it, for sure. sure. But, um, but yeah, it's a way to... That basically, you channel your rage into, into magic. Yeah. You get so mad, you're throwing lightning bolts yeah. at people. <laughs> wow. and, and, and they're from the druid spell list. Uh, yeah. which, is, okay. which is interesting uh which 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 is really cool because like i've been messing around with uh strixhaven where mm, i'm okay. playing a sorcerer who goes to the who is who is who is in the school that gives her druid spells right um and i'm having a lot of fun messing around with that being like being like oh look all these weird spells i can have that i shouldn't have as this character um and i think that'd be really really cool for a, a, a barbarian as well honestly if my dm will let me i might switch my barbarian over to a rage witch from uh ancestral guardian which is you know the classic D thing that she is now that would be super cool let me know how, how it pans out yeah they get they get some really cool stuff and also ways that the rage and the magic can play off one another they get a feature that they unlock at 10th level where you can you basically get like a paladin smite with your own spell slots mm-hmm. oh wow <laughs> yeah it's pretty cool so so yeah, um, like it's 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 worth picking up this book even for some of those things because they're just really cool options. Also, there's a a large like obviously everything you could possibly fight in the campaign is detailed at the end. Um, yes, so yeah, we have a big beast monsters. Yeah, and it does. Uh, the one thing I will say because uh, I don't want anyone to you know be sad when they discover it. You really are going to want to make sure you have a copy of Creature Collection for this book. Um, there are some suggestions for ways to. Mm-hmm cope if you don't like if you just have the srd but creature collection for scarred lands is super helpful for this it's also campaign. a beautiful book it's also a beautiful book like it's <laughs> like, it an amazing cow. book i love it um the other cool thing in this is that there's a lot of new magic items and equipment mm-hmm. um which like and there, there there are quite a few that are magic tattoos which i always just love the idea of i think magic tattoos are so cool yeah, and that's a big part of Broadreach Elf culture yeah. is um, is the, the the use of magic tattoos, and that's a place where um, we're. I'm running the the stream I run regularly on our Twitch channel, uh, Sins of Shelzar, has been a Dead Man's Rust stream now for about since we started second season, so um, twenty episodes as of last night. Um, so wow. we're doing kind of a speed run through um, Dead Man's Rust, mm-hmm. uh, but our orc PCs have made like amazing, just have, have had like amazing role play around the idea of sitting down and sharing tattoos with the Broadreach elves. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause, mm-hmm. cause they roll in there and they're, you know, half of them are like, I don't even speak the language. And Cheryl Lung, Corey's character was like, well, I speak tattoo. So, you know, <laughs> 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 yeah. And that's really kind of like, 
how they got in with them a little bit. So yeah, pretty cool. There are also a lot of um, clans of Broadway elves. And one of the things that's also in this book is a tracker to show kind of like where you're at with all of them. Um, yeah, I, I yeah. really wanted to make sure that the GM had tools that help. So you have a favor tracker to keep track of where you where you stand with ev- everybody mm-hmm. in the Broadreach Horizon. You have a quest tracker so that if you don't want to do XP tracking, you can actually check off as you cr- uh, create complete uh, major quests and minor quests and level up that way. Oh, nice. So you don't have to ever check XP values and stuff. And you can run through most of this game with a relatively low combat footprint. I won't say you can beat this game without combat, because if you can, uh, kudos. Um, (laughs) But but you can get through a lot of the content without ever having to draw a sword if that's the way you want to play. You know, the end end gets a little... uh, little combat heavy no matter what you do but um and there are speaking of combat heavy uh there are also siege rules in here um and oh. rules for rules for mob combat and, and mass engagement there are two sieges uh detailed in the course of the adventure um and so you get to uh there's rules that allow you not only to like resolve the major fighting forces but also to uh have that fight going on while you're uh, focusing in on player action mm-hmm. and what the different actions the players can take, what effects that has on the major conflict, um, which I think was a really cool way to handle sieges for D&D, which I hadn't seen really in film. Yeah, that's wild. I, I... Um, and that is largely credit to uh, to the Conry from uh, our good friends over at Devil's Luck Gaming um, wrote that section and just did amazing stuff. So yeah, this is it just sounds like there's just so much in this book. I mean, we talked about how it's 250 pages, but it sounds like it's just bursting up the seams with, 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 with support and help and ideas and, and advice. Uh, and that's just really, really exciting. So um, it, it is available on drive through RPG now, so you can go get it. You can, you can get a print and demand copy. You can get a PDF copy. Um, and uh, actually while you're online, uh, you may want to take a, a quick swing by Kickstarter right now uh, because we're going to be, in, we're right now in the middle of our Trinity Continuum Anima Kickstarter. What? Did you yeah. say Anima? You did yes, say Anima. Yes, Anima. Sorry, no. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, this, this, this episode was recorded a year ago, apparently. No. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, no, we're in the middle it of our Aether like Kickstarter. Uh, <laughs> damn all these A names. <laughs> right. Who's, whose idea was this? Sorry, Rich. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, it is really cool. It is Victorian era Trinity Continuum. It's got Martians. It's got vampires. It's got all kinds of cool shit. I was telling folks on the stream last night. I worked on the powers chapter of this book. Mm-hmm. It is bonkers. You're gonna love it. Yeah, there's it is, so much stuff that's it's just awesome. It's yeah, so I fun. Mean, if if you were a fan of our uh, Mage Victorian Age book, um, this is a very different take on uh, Victoriana. It's much more what if all the pulp fiction from the Victorian era, the Penny Dreadfuls, were actually true. Uh, so it, 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 you're right; it's a lot more over the top in very cool and interesting, exciting ways, and it all makes sense in the Trinity Continuum if. You have to look for it though. It, it takes a minute because at first it's like, but Martian invasion? Why was it never mentioned? There are there are reasons and there's expl- explanations for it, but it is just a lot of 
19th century adventure fiction fun. So uh, if that's the kind of thing you you dig, uh, you to back that as well. But definitely um, pick up the Skylands Dead Man's Rest, like, like Dixie said and uh, Travis said. It's a really cool D&D setting. It's, it's definitely based off of a lot of what makes D&D interesting, but it's a whole new perspective on stuff. It, it's... Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's just a really great setting that, that definitely deserves a lot more love. So, uh, if Agreed. you're, if you're learning, interested to learn more about it over the next few weeks, uh, Travis is going to be running all of us through a chunk of dead man's rust. So, yeah, um, not all of it. Cause that would take way more sessions. No, take, no, no. We don't have that well, would be like, the whole podcast. Like I said, our speed run is, uh, on episode 20 and they're just in the, uh, Second to last chapter, so. <laughs> right, and that's the right, and that's each of those episodes are what three, four hours themselves. Yeah, yeah two to three, yeah. But we are yeah. also playing level ten characters, which I'm super excited about. I always like starting a game at a higher level, mm-hmm. uh, just because it's fun to have more widgets to work with. Um, like my my least favorite part of D and D is waiting for level three, because usually yeah. that's when you get your first cool thing. Right, uh, it's and the so worst. For the first two levels, like once again on 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 my my barbarian, it's like I rage, I hit it, I hit mm. it. It's half the reason I, I think it. anybody plays a sorcerer or a cleric because you yeah. get your first level. <laughs> yeah, or, 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 or like a bard, you know, like there's right. there there are other characters that have way more to do at first level, but if you're playing a non-magic character, you're just like, I, I hit it. Well, no, I was saying specifically those are the only two classes that get their like this is why I'm special at first level. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. True, 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 true. But yeah, was- no, it's 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 funny. If only someone would make a whole new game based on the D&D rules that would get rid of that problem. Huh. I know, right? So much work on that. Can't Maybe put dogs in there, too. But anyway. <laughs> never work. Never it, work. It'll never work. Never Nobody work. likes dogs. Um, <laughs> but Travis, if people want to chat with you online and ask you questions like who your favorite X-Men is, where would they find you? Uh, they would find me anywhere online at Travis Leg, L-E-G-G-E. Um, I currently am streaming uh, Dead Man's Rust. Um, at twitch.tv forward slash the onyx path i'll also be playing in uh trinity continuum aether actual play run by matthew um which will be streaming uh as well on twitch which has been a lot of fun so far and has given me an opportunity to vent my spleen about how much i hate thomas edison (laughs) fuck that guy really it's he's 1890s elon musk and you'll never (laughs) convince me otherwise um and yeah, that's where you can find me online. Uh, and I'm at Patreon as well, uh, where I've been, oddly enough, recently rolling out some RPG Maker games. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm also doing tabletop stuff there. In fact, I should have a new thing up by the time this airs uh, for my backers. But yeah, I'm playing an old RPG Maker. Um, it's calming. Nice. I recommend it. And Dixie, how about you? Yeah, you hang pretty much everywhere at Dixie Cyanide. That's my Twitter. That's my Discord. I'm all over the place. Um, I'm also usually hanging out on the Onyx Path Discord because, you know, it's a fun place to hang out, in my opinion. It is. But yeah, find me, follow me, hang out. Um, You can find me on Twitter as Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find the website at Pugsteady.com. Speaking of streaming, um, by the time you're listening to this, uh, you may know, but if not, uh, Dixie and I has also started doing something on Twitch. Um, We're going to start making characters uh, called Building Character uh, every Thursday. Um, uh, and it basically it's just every other Thursday we're going to pick a game and try to make characters about it and show you how that process goes because we had so much fun doing the Chronicles Darkness ones we thought why not keep doing that uh, you can find those on Twitch as well 
Uh, you can find all of our stuff at theonyxpath.com. You can find all of our stuff on Drive Through RPG. Also, you can order many of them through your friendly neighborhood game stores, uh, or you can order them directly through places such as uh, Studio Two Publishing or Indie Press Revolution. So feel free to pick up as much Scarlet stuff as you can carry. And as always, enjoy.